Take your Bibles and turn to John 14, 33. Sorry, John 14, 23. My bad. It was actually Luke 14, 33 a couple of weeks ago. So um, if, I ha- if I can have an excuse, that's it. John 14, 23. Uh, our, our lesson this week in experiencing God was experiencing God through obedience. And that's what we're looking at. In this passage, as, you, as you'll see as we get into it, we're going to expand that out a little bit uh, to the verse before and the verse after and get a little context as we move uh, through that passage. Um, some of you might remember the 1995 movie Crimson Tide. Yes, it's a horrible, horrible name. Um, I, 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 I speak anathema to that name, um, but uh, good movie. Denzel Washington, well, good. I mean, well, anyway. In Hollywood's eyes, it was a good movie. Let's put it that way. Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, two of my favorite actors. Um, the, the plot of that movie was, and, and I won't give it, if you've never seen it, I won't give it away, but it was, you know, like 22 year, 23 years ago. So if you haven't seen it, it's, it's too late for spoiler alert. Um, uh, the plot of the movie was the, that uh, Gene Hackman was a submarine captain, uh, kind of a uh, go with his heart, go with the feel sort of leader. Denzel Washington was his new second in command, uh, and Denzel was a by the book sort of guy. And um, it was tail end of the Cold War. Uh, something was going on in Chechnya, and. Um, they, they got a, uh, uh, an encrypted message to fire their nuclear payload at somebody. Uh, I don't remember who. I think the guy who was heading up the problems in, in Chechnya. Um, immediately following that, they got a second message that uh, appeared or began with some information that might have said, never mind except that they got hit by a torpedo by a, uh, a rogue Soviet submarine, and their, their encryption machine radio thingy broke, and so they weren't sure what they were supposed to do. They have the, the, the previous message says, fire. The next message looks like it could say, don't fire, but they're not sure, so Gene Hackman wants to fire, go with the last message we got. Uh, Denzel Washington wants to uh, exercise caution and say, no, no, we, we, we can't because there's a message we don't have complete, so we are, we're working on incomplete orders if we do that. And uh, they have to agree in order to fire, and then the whole movie is based on their disagreement. Uh, many, many plot twists occur uh, after that. Now, what's interesting that's Hollywood, that's a movie, good movie, an enjoyable movie. Turns out, I found out last year, that this is loosely, and I mean really loosely, based on an actual occurrence. This next picture is, uh, the picture, is a picture of a man named Vasily Arkhipov, who was the third in command of a Soviet submarine during the, uh, the, the Bay of Pigs issue, um, 
if that was if, if I've got the timing right. It was in 1962, anyway, uh, and he was around Cuba. U.S. forces began to drop non-lethal depth charges on his submarine, um, and and this submarine had nuclear torpedoes. And they had broken off all radio contact with Russia. Uh, they had the command, if you need to, fire your nuclear torpedoes. And the, the, these non-lethal depth charges, the U.S. was just trying to get them to surface. They knew they were there. They weren't trying to sink them. They were just trying to get them to surface so that they uh, could, could tell exactly where they were. Um, they, they didn't know, because they weren't in con- contact with Russia, U.S. and Russia had been talking. All the information was there, except they didn't have it. Uh, this, this gentleman, uh, Arkhipov, and then his two commanders didn't have all the information. In this situation, though, all three, first in command, second in command, third in command, all three had to agree to fire the nuclear torpedoes. Well, first in command and second in command agreed. Third in command did not. He did not, he knew, they all knew, if they fired this nuclear torpedo at this uh, uh, U.S. ship, then nuclear war was started, and when they finally did surface, there wouldn't be much left to see. This gentleman went against it. Uh, They didn't... uh, uh, start World War III, uh, and as one uh, Thomas Blanton, who was the director of the National Security Archive at George Washington University, told the Boston Globe in 2002, this is that guy that saved the world. This man saved the world. By, in this case, disobeying an order, Right? He got an award for it 55 years later. Now, you're thinking, Michael, uh, you're you're using two examples here of confusing orders and disobedience. The the plot of Crimson Tide is uh, mutiny, then another mutiny, uh, a counter-mutiny, then a counter-counter-mutiny because of the conflicting orders. Here, you've got a gentleman who... Uh, knew what the order was, but decided, because it was their discretion, decided, no, we cannot follow that order in this circumstance because, well, I'm giving you negative examples. I'm giving you opposite examples this morning of how we are to respond in obedience. See, the thing is, God's commands are never intended to confuse us. In both of these situations, the commands were confusing, incomplete in, in one instance, uh, in the second instance, in, in real life, also incomplete. They didn't have all the information. They had the order, but they were supposed to follow that order in a certain set of circumstances, and they didn't know what exactly was going on. Confusion, though, ultimately is the fault of the hearer, at least in the spiritual realm. We can blame a broken radio or uh, uh, communication blackout That's not our issue as believers, is it? We hear incorrectly. We are confused uh, because of of how we hear or what we hear. And obedience, we understand, causes, not as in the case of these two examples, 
conflict, but obedience causes a deeper relationship. When we obey, we draw closer to God, and we're going to see that as, as we move through. Um, caution, as in the case of Denzel Washington, or even in the case of Arkhipov, is never the correct response when it comes to God, because caution is disobedience when it comes to God. When the command is given, we obey. We move forward. Well, let's see what the Bible says about all that now that we've got some images of uh, confused, uh, confused commands in our heads. John 14, verses 22 through 24 say, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. God's speaking to us today through his word. This, this question that Judas, not Iscariot, asks is the last of four questions in John chapter 13, verse 36, through chapter 14, verse 31. And it's, those questions are couched within the last teachings of Jesus before he is crucified. I've talked about these uh, chapters before. Chapter 15, 16, uh, 17... This is, if Jesus had dripped information and knowledge to the disciples over the past three years, then over these next three hours, he's picking up the bucket and he is dousing them with it. That's, that's the image we get here of his teaching. That's the, the, the intensity of what he's trying to get his disciples to understand. He realizes his time of direct face-to-face -face teaching is drawing short, and he doesn't have time to waste. Three of these questions were duh questions. Uh, the, the first three were, were uh, confusion and uh, that sort of thing. This one this one is not. Now, it says, tells us that Judas, not Iscariot, so we're not talking about Judas Iscariot here. We're not talking about Jesus' brother, probably, uh, who wrote the book of Jude. Uh, we're talking about uh, another Judas that is spoken of in, in briefly only one place, actually, in Luke chapter 6. I believe it says uh, Judas, uh, Jude of James or Judas of James. Um, so just one of the disciples, probably one of those disciples that had two or three names. There were a, lot, a handful of them that had two or three different names. They were called different names at different times. Thaddeus was Bartholomew. Uh, Judas may have been called Thomas sometimes, and it, it just got confusing. They had nicknames, so they didn't, you know, so that they could call each other and not be confused. doesn't help us sometimes when we're reading. Really, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, it's clear that it happened. And, and this passage, if you remember, follows a, a previous memory verse for us from experiencing God. The previous memory verse was uh, John 14, 21. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Well, this memory verse for this morning, John 14, 23, uh, is right on the heels of that. So we're 
really continuing a sermon from six weeks ago or so. So Judas asks his question in verse 22 and said, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Now, like I said, the, the other questions, the other three questions were kind of questions that were uh, based on the disciples maybe not listening as well as they should have or, or confusion caused by um, almost willful misunderstanding. Like, like, Jesus, I don't get, you know, you know, I don't want it to be that way. I mean, where are you going? Well, he told them where they were going. Uh, how are we going to get there? Well, he told them, had told them before, and he's having to ask the, answer these questions over and over again. This question, though, is not a question that's a, a, a result of a lack of understanding of, or a failure of listening. This question kind of makes sense. Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us, the disciples, and not the world. See, it goes back to the previous verse, uh, verse 21, that we, we memorized. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Then this last part, I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. So Judas is sitting there thinking, okay, you're going to reveal yourself to us, but how are you going to reveal yourself to us and not the rest of the world? They, this was... A question based on thoughtful contemplation on what they had already been told. And it's probably a question the readers of the gospel later on would have asked as well because they would have read other places, other parts of gospels, other letters. Uh, they would have read things uh, in, in, in their, uh, their New Testament at the time. Every eye will see, for example. They, they would have read things like, All tribes will mourn. They would have read about the sign of the Son of Man in the sky. They would have read about or heard about the Lord coming upon the cloud. See, all of these uh, descriptors were of Jesus coming back. And Judas is asking a very thoughtful question. God, how, Jesus, how, how are you going to do all these things? How are you going to come back like this and only reveal yourself to us? Because Judas was thinking of Jesus' return. Jesus' second coming. He was thinking of the glory coming in the sky like he had told him when the kingdom comes. That's what he was looking for. And Jesus is not talking about that at this time. This is actually couched in this discussion of uh, the, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we come up. What we see here with Judas, what we see here with this question, is that questioning prayer a questioning prayer, a prayer that questions about God's plans is good. It is never a problem that we question God's plans. Now, I should have put a dot, dot, dot at the end of that sentence, just so, not a period, you notice there's nothing there. It's a dot, dot, dot. It's an ellipse at the end of that sentence because there's more to this. But right now, I want you to hear and I want you to think Questioning God's plans, prayer to God, God, what are you doing in my life? What's, what's next is a good thing. Hannah gave, gives her testimony this morning about knowing she's called to missions. There are a lot of questions about what that means in the next 1, 3, 5, 10, 20, 50 years. 
There are a lot of questions that she can ask God. And God is not scared of those questions. Not, God is not worried about those questions. They don't confuse God, and God's just sitting up there thinking, oh, I never thought about that. You're, you're right. God is perfectly fine with our questions. Because we see here, and as we move on into, into uh, verse 23, that Jesus answered. Well, let's just stop there. Let's not look at the answer. Let's just look at the fact that he did. Again, Jesus is not scared of your questions. He wasn't scared of Judas's question. He wasn't caught off guard. The Pharisees loved to ask Jesus questions, but every one of their questions was designed to trip him up somehow, to, to, uh, uh, to, to catch him off guard, to make him say something so that they could turn around and say, Aha, I got you. And it never, ever worked. Because Jesus was not scared of the questions. Those questions were evil. Those que questions were designed to create doubt in, in the people standing around. Those are designed to get an upper hand. And Jesus was not flummoxed. Jesus was not taken aback. Jesus was not confused. Jesus didn't have to go, well, hold on, let me see what the Bible says. Let me, um, none of that. Jesus answered those questions and knew immediately knew the heart of the person that was asking them, knew the answer that he needed to give, both to shut that person up and to create the environment and the, the, the attitude among the people that were listening that was necessary. It never confused Jesus. So if the questions that were meant to do harm never got to Jesus... Just think about the questions that aren't meant to do harm, but are of his children saying, how is it going to work? Now, I'm a parent, and often what we'll do is we'll say, hey, let's get in the car, we're going somewhere. And we're intentionally going somewhere, hopefully fun, you know, but we're, we're kind of keeping it a secret, a little, little, bit of, little bit of mystery to where we're going, um, and the questions begin. Where are we going? What are we doing? Where are we, what are we going to do when we get there? Is it, are we going to go eat somewhere? Are we going to go somewhere? Is it going, are we going to have fun there? Is we going to do this? Are we going to do that? Blah, 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 blah. From 15 to 4. All of them. And we'll, no, no, we're not going to, not going to ask that. Nope, not going to tell you. You'll just have to wait and see. Just, you're going to have to wait. No, just wait and see. We're not going to tell you anything. No, just, you're just going to wait and see. You, we'll go home if you don't stop asking questions. You know, that's, that's eventually where it ends up. I'm a frustrated parent at that point. God is not. Because we do the same thing to him. God says, I want you to do this. This is your direction. I want you to go to the mission field. I want you to go into the ministry. I want you to serve your community. Well, what am I going to do? Who am I going to serve? What's going to happen? Are, my, are the people going to like me? Are they going to be mad at me? Are they going to not like me? Are they not going to accept me? I really don't want to do anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. Can we just do things that I like? Because that's really all I want to do. And if I don't have to do anything at all, that'd be best. Can I just pray about this a little while? Why not? You know, and God's saying, no. No, 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 no. Just, I've told you what you're going to do. God is not scared of our questions, and it's not disobedience to ask for clarification. Okay? That's the ellipse. That's the dot, dot, dot on the end of that, that statement, that uh, questioning prayer about God's plans is good. It's not disobedience to ask for clarification. It was not disobedient for Moses to say, how are you going to do that, Lord? How are you going to do this? Now, the moment it becomes disobedience is when 
we hesitate. Hesitation is disobedience. Bargaining is disobedience, and that's what Moses did. Oh, let's do it this way, or do it this other way, or what if I don't? Could, what, yeah, let's, let's, let's don't and say I did, or let's, you know, how, how other, some other ways. Refusal, obviously, is disobedience, but, but questioning, asking questions for clarification are not disobedience, dot, 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 provided those questions are preceded by obedience. See, that's the caveat. That's the, 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 uh, the, the surprise answer. If I'm over here, and God says, go over there, and I say, okay, Lord, why? Why do I have to go over there? I don't like over there. That's not the part of the play, stage I want to stand on. That's not my favorite. I don't, I don't like to do it that way. I, I, the people over there aren't as nice as the people over here. I don't, I, that's not my preferred method. Now, you notice what I'm doing? What am I doing? Standing still. What is that? If I've been told to go over there and I'm still here, what is that? That is disobedience. I'm questioning in the midst of my disobedience. Now, it looks different if... I begin to move the direction God tells me to. Well, Lord, I'm not real comfortable with this. I don't really like this area. What's going to happen when I get there? What are you going to do with me? Because all you told me to do was go. I think this is probably a lot of what Abraham did. We don't have record of the conversation, but when he was told to leave uh, Ur and go to the place I will show you, how's that for a vague direction. Go to the place I will show you. I guarantee you Abraham was saying, Lord, where are we going? How are we going to get there? How long is it going to take to get there? What's going to happen when we get there? Are you sure this is, is this where you want me? And are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, constant. But it was in the midst of obedience. I'm convinced that questioning in the midst of obedience is not a sin. But questions without obedience are. That's what we finally got to with Moses at the burning bush. Eventually, Moses got to questions without obedience. He was just asking for clarification at first. But it ended up questions without obedience. Abraham, we see obedience, that first step, and we can uh, expect that the questions were involved. Now, what we have to understand is, you know, there's a reason we stopped at Jesus answered, comma, open quotation marks. Because the answer might not be what you want or expect. That journey of questions, you may get the, 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 the no answer. And I don't mean the no answer, I mean no answer. Silence. Or you may get what Jesus gave here. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Let's, let's read this together, okay? Let, let's, let's put these two sentences together. Jesus, how is it you're going to receive your, uh, uh, reveal yourself to us and not to the world? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. What's the answer? He didn't give one. I'll, I'll give it away for you. That's a non-answer. That didn't answer the question. The correct answer would have been, 
Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? I'm going to reveal myself to you and not to the world by dot, dot, dot. I, I hated, I remember this clearly sixth grade reading. We had workbooks. And I don't know why I remember sixth grade. I was in a new, new middle school. We had just moved to Alabama. So I think that's why it sticks out to me. Uh, and, and my homeroom was also my reading teachers, and it was later on in the day, so that room just kind of sticks out to me. We had workbooks. We had to read some passage from a book or the workbook, and then we had to answer the questions following the, the, the passage that we read. Any of my teachers in here know how we had to answer those questions? Yep, who said it? In complete sentences, yes. I hate that. I want to write because and fill it out. That's just what I want to, or not even because. But I had, why did uh, Flicka, I, I remember reading about my friend Flicka in it too, a, a book about a horse, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, why did Flicka run across the pasture? I want to write because it was a horse, and that's what horses do. But I had to write, Flicka ran across the pasture because Flicka is a horse, and that's what horses do. So Jesus should have answered this in a complete sentence. He should have begun the answer to the question Judas, Judas asks, I'm going to reveal myself to you and not the world by... And we would have known exactly what he was talking about. We'd have been, oh, there's the answer to the question. But not only does he not answer the question in the complete sentence we'd expect, he does not answer to the question at all. All he does is repeat verse 21. Jesus says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. How are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I can see Judas getting there, oh... Yeah, you, you just said that, got it, but, but that's not the answer uh, I'm, looking at, I'm looking for. That, that doesn't help me, Jesus. Well, what Jesus knew was, yes, it, it actually did help Judas and those that were listening. See, sometimes the answer to our questions is to be taught the same lesson we've already been taught. Oh, we don't like that. We have questions. We want answers. And oftentimes, Jesus will say, love your neighbor. And then he will say, and then we'll say, but God, what, what are you doing right now in the midst of our political chaos, our international issues? What's going on? And, God, and Jesus' answer, God's answer will be, love your neighbor. I don't want to just love my neighbor. I want an answer. We, we stomp our feet. Don't act like you don't. We do. The important thing to learn is not the answers to our questions, but what God wants us to know. Jesus says, The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Jesus, how are you going to do what you, said you're, you just said you're going to do? 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Judas, it does not matter how I am going to do the things that I have been told to do by my father. It does not matter the mechanisms I'm going to use to bring about my kingdom on earth. It does not matter the methods that I will use in order to reach the world or your community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does not matter that you don't understand what's happening tomorrow or next week or next month. It does not matter that you think you are entitled to understand what's going on. The only thing you need to know, Jesus, is, uh, Judas, is what I have told you. Get that right, and then maybe we'll worry about some other instruction. It sounds a lot like what we learned this week in Experiencing God. We want the answers to the questions. We want to know what's going on. We want some explanation, and God says, all I want you to do is be obedient with what I've already told you to do. One of the things Experiencing God points out to us is that oftentimes we want the big responsibility. God, give me something huge. And God says, I gave you 10. Don't kill, don't steal, don't murder, don't. How you doing on those? I, I told you that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How you doing on those? I told you to love your neighbor as yourself. I told you uh, that lust within your heart is the same as, as adultery, so get it out. I told you if your right hand offends, you cut, you all, cut it off. And if your right eye plucks it out, uh, offends, you pluck it out. I've told you all these things already that you know you're supposed to do, that aren't hidden, that aren't God's will, that you're going, oh, no, what am I supposed to do? They are clearly written in black and white, and you haven't gotten those yet. Why would I give you more responsibility? Sometimes the answer to our questions is to be taught the same lesson over and over and over again. When it comes to obedience, when it comes to moving from over there to over there, our relationship and our, our obedience are what, are, uh, are what is or are important, not our understanding. In obedience, what's important is our obedience, period. We want answers. God wants obedience. We want explanation. God wants relationship. We want a plan. God wants us to learn. We want all these things, and God is just saying, know me, know me. Know me, and then we'll worry about those other things. Jesus goes on. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And here we get to the crux of the title, Experiencing God Through Obedience. See, obedience leads to experience. Obedience leads to greater responsibility. When we want the grand assignment, God says, have you done these other things? And if we have, well, we won't be asking for the grand assignment. I mean, because we'll be right there. We'll be with him. We'll be tracking with him. Everything he says do, we do. And we won't be looking for the next. We'll only be worried about what he has told us to do. But that obedience, that repetition, that constant doing what he has told us to do leads to the relationship with him such that we constantly know what it is we're supposed to do. 
We don't ever have to ask the question, how do we get from over there to over there? Because all we're doing in life is looking at God and listening and, oh, what's our next, okay, so our next step is to do this. Well, I'm going to do this. And what we'll find eventually is that as we move in obedience with God every step of the way, then we find later on, he never had to tell us to move from over there to over here because he got us over here. It's the proverbial carrot in front of the donkey. All he has to do is put it out in front of us, and we, we follow. We do it, and he gets us right where we want to be, right where he wants us to be. Now, there will be times when he calls us and says, I've got a grand plan, and here's how you are a part of that grand plan. And then we have to adjust, and then we, have to, we will have this crisis of belief. But the crisis of belief that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is much, much uh, less a crisis if we have already spent those days, weeks, months with him to begin with, and we're ready. Obedience leads to, the ex- to experience, to relationship. Obedience to the Father opens us up to receiving his full expression in our lives. That, that sentence doesn't capture it as well as it should, I don't think. Obedience to the Father opens us up to receiving his full expression in our lives. One of the sight gags of sitcoms down through the years is for them to have one of those inflatable rafts inside the house, and they shouldn't have had it inside the house to begin with. You know, it's all bundled up, and you pull a cord, and the whole thing opens up, and, and ha-ha, it's so funny when they do that. It opens up, fills up the whole, uh, the whole room, the whole house. It's kind of the image I get when we follow God in obedience, and Jesus says, He and I, the Father and I, we will come to him and make our home in him. I I, I get this image of this small package as we envision it being inside of us. But then once we follow in obedience, that ripcord is pulled open and that wrath completely fills up the space takes all the room out. Everything else is pushed out. And in the sitcoms, everybody's... That's what happens in our heart. That's what happens to our sin. That's what happens to our disobedience. That's what happens to our uh, negativity. That's what happens to our uh, our issues. They all get pushed out because of the presence, the, the fullest expression in our lives of God. This passage, this verse right here is the only place in the New Testament where Father and Son together are said to indwell believers. Only sentence where it puts them together, both of them coming in to us. We can experience that. Not God up in heaven. Not this ethereal uh, 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 Oh, lost my word, not concrete, but abstract, abstract idea, this power, this force out there somewhere doing something that we can't understand, but God and his son in us, that is incredible. And you know what gets it? Obedience. Simply obedience. Is it not not hoops? I mean, it's, this isn't this isn't. Uh, I've got a I've got a 
handle snakes and kill chickens and do all this, you know, not, not ritual after ritual after ritual, not self-flagellation as we beat ourselves and, 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 and break ourselves down, but obedience to him. And that fullness, the, the trinity, there is no answer. Judas asks his question, how are you going to do this? And the answer is he, that he gets is the Trinity is going to indwell you. There is no answer or understanding greater than the fullest experience of the Trinity indwelling us. Every question we have, the answer is the Trinity inside you. Then what questions are we going to ask? What do we need to know? What's confusing? What's helpful? God, how am I going to get from there to here? The Trinity inside you. Yeah, but what if they don't like me? The Trinity inside you. How are you going to use me? The Trinity inside you. Are you, cap- are you able? Is this really going to work out? The Trinity inside you. See how that diffuses everything? How that answers every question? The Trinity inside you. There's no answer we need other than the indwelling of the triune God in our hearts. The Holy Spirit right there. He's talking about the paraclete, the, the, the next one that will come. And then he says, but the Son and the Father will be there too. How weak, how wimpy, how worthless how washed up, how wasteful. Let me see if I can come up with any other W words. Our questions and our protests and our excuses sound when the answer is the Trinity dwells inside you. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's like we would go back, if we could go back in time right now, with all of our military technology and refight the Revolutionary War. How short would that be? The, 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 the incredible power of our military might now versus what the British had then. It'd be no contest. That is a, a fraction, that is minuscule in comparison to the Trinity living in us and taking on whatever questions and issues we might have in the world today. Who am I? I'm a bearer of the Trinity. I'm a carrier of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by virtue of my faith in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Nothing major. Only everything in the universe contained right here. So what am I afraid of? Why am I disobedient? The Trinity indwelling us. And then Jesus wraps up the, the answer here. Verses 25 through 31 are the, the wrap-up of the, the entire four-question section. But he wraps up his answer to, to Judas's question here in verse 24. He says, The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine but is from the Father who sent me. The one who doesn't hear me, now he answers the question. 
Didn't answer it the way Judas thought he was going to, but he answers it. Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? He says, well, the one, the one who doesn't hear me will not keep my words. I'm going to reveal myself to the world, Judas, by, I mean, I mean, reveal myself to my people and not the world, because the world won't hear me when I reveal myself. The light came into his own. John began his book, his gospel, but his own rejected him. They didn't see him for the light that, they wa- that he was. That began when he came, and it's not going to be any different down the road. God does not reveal himself to those who aren't his. There's your answer. He reveals himself every day, and it is only his that see him. So I can say to you this morning, you know you are his by your obedience. I could also ask you this question, if you don't hear him, are you disobedient? What? Well, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. We will be obedient. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father. So if you don't hear him, are you being disobedient? Or are you not his at all? Let's come back to that. The last sentence, the word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me. Jesus has absolutely, absolute authority to say these things. Jesus is making sure they understand once again, you don't say, oh, I'm just human. Oh, I'm just a good teacher. Guys, I am God. So if you can't accept that, then you really can't accept me. You're, you're, you're going to be a part of the ones that will crucify me for blasphemy. But that's who I am. To hear God, to hear his words, to come to his word and read what Jesus said or what Jesus told the, the apostles to write or what Jesus told others to write in his New Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament, etc. To hear God is to encounter God. That is an experience in itself. So when God talks to us, when God speaks to us, that is an experience. But to obey God is to experience a relationship and an intimacy that casual Christianity will never match. If the extent of your contact with God and Scripture is an hour on Sunday morning, you will never experience the relationship with God you could experience. If you are not experiencing Him through obedience, through daily relationship, through a constant relationship, then you are missing out on what God has for you. If you aren't experiencing God, you aren't obeying Him. And if you aren't obeying Him, it may be that you aren't here at His at all. This morning, you can experience God. You need to experience God through salvation. See, for a lot of us, this is a readjustment of our lives uh, as believers. But for some of us this morning, you cannot experience God at all. You cannot experience him, his, his ways, his, uh, 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 his directives, his commands, any of this that we've talked about until you have experienced God through salvation. And that's what you need to receive this morning is salvation. God is just and holy. He will judge sin. We are willfully sinful, fallen, destined for everlasting torment and judgment, but Jesus is the perfect Son of God. 
He took our sin on the cross, took our place on the cross. He died for everyone, you and me. And he rose three days later. Without Jesus, there is no hope of salvation. Our guarantee without Jesus is eternal torment in hell. Damnation for eternity. That is our lot in eternity. But Jesus made a way to overcome that. Everything else I've talked about this morning, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ, won't make sense to you. Won't even be available to you. What? Well, clearly, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. How are you going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? Because I'm going to reveal myself to the ones who love me. Your love, your initial love for, for God is shown through a salvation, a saving relationship through Jesus Christ. And without that, you cannot experience these other things. So this morning, what you need to do, if, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to Him, uh, come to Jesus for salvation, if you've never repented of your sins, given your life over to Him, well, that's what you need to do this morning. You need to repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in Him and then live for Him. And that's a volitional act on your part. You might pray a prayer. You might not. You might pray the prayer where you are. You might come forward and have either me or Tom pray the prayer with you. But what you have to do in your life, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, is come to a point where you cry out to God to save you through Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Lord Jesus, I trust you your salvation for me. Save me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And I give my life over to you. A life of obedience. And that is salvation. And then we can talk about obedience. Living a life for Him. Believer, what have you been doing? Do you hear God call do you hear him speak and you just disobey? Well, that's, that's a problem. Do you ignore it? Do you, do you have all the excuses? Do you stand there and wait? Do you say, oh, wait, God, the, the, the message is confusing. I got this from somebody and this from somebody else like they did in Crimson Tide. Or, or do the right people not agree with you like with uh, the, uh, the, the Russian submarine commander? And so, well, we can't do anything because, uh, because the, you know, we don't all agree on this. No. What has God told you to do, believer? What are you not doing? Do it. And experience the relationship that you can only have, the type of relationship that you can only have through obedience to the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you continue to draw, that you continue to work in our lives. Thank you that you don't stop. Lord, thank you that in every situation, in every question, in every doubt, in every command, in every uh, circumstance, we have the power of the triune God within us. Jesus, you promised that you and the Father and also the Holy Spirit would come and live in us. God, there is nothing that can match the power 
of the one within us. And Lord, let us lead us to bank on that, to bank on that promise and to trust in that promise as believers today. Lord, if there's someone here that has never trusted you as Savior and, and, and this idea of obedience to God is, is, is foreign and, and difficult, a, a difficult concept, Lord, I pray that this morning they would get the salvation part first. The first obedience, the, the, the experience of, of, of you through salvation, through Jesus Christ. And Lord, may you work in the lives of everyone here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is your decision? to God and you need to get some things straight with him you can come here to the rails you can pray, Tom or I will be happy to pray with you, but we've encountered God this morning because we cracked his word open, we saw what he said so not one of us should leave here the way we came in, so as we stand and sing, do business with God as he works on your heart this morning